0: Someone just gave you a check and said, hey, whatever you need, whatever you want, just go get it. Anyone? Really? That happened to me one time. I was a youth pastor. We were, we were in a building uh, uh, project, and uh, I remember when the pastor handed it to me. And so you kind of get that, that initial thought, I got a blank check, right? Got a blank check. You know, this actually happened in the Bible to a guy by the name of Solomon. And there's two things about this story that make it intriguing. First, the guy who wrote the check, because the guy who wrote the check was God. And the guy who cashed the check, Solomon, it's interesting how he cashed it. The story is found in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 3, verse 5, and I want to I reference this story as we continue our series on living in His presence, because I'm going to tie it into this whole idea of entering in His presence and worship. 1 Kings 3, verse 5. This is a good news translation. That night, the Lord appeared to him, talking about Solomon, in a dream and asked him, what would you like me to give you? What an amazing proposition. Isn't that? If God came to you, whatever you want. Hey, whatever you want. Dana, whatever you want. It's yours, right? How would you respond to that? right? What an amazing proposition. But, an even more amazing answer. Here was Solomon's answer in 1 Kings 3 verse 9. Give your servant, this is Solomon's response when God says, here's a check, whatever you want. Solomon says, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. So God basically handed Solomon a blank check, said hey, what do you want Solomon? Whatever you want, whatever you need, it's yours. And It's interesting because Solomon asked for wisdom, wisdom. And and that answer so impressed God that God not only gave him what he asked for, he gave him wisdom, but he also gave Solomon what he didn't ask for, probably what most of us would have asked for, right? Wealth, riches. Verse 10, 1 Kings 3, verses 10 and 11. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, asked for wisdom, and God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, I mean, you didn't ask for your enemies to be killed, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. See that? Verse 12 Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. Verse 13, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Man, what an amazing story. Okay, so we see that Solomon asked for wisdom. God gave him a blank check. He said, God, I want wisdom. But why? Why did Solomon ask for wisdom? Well, to answer that, we need to back up a little bit earlier in the conversation in verse 6, 1 Kings 3, verse 6. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son, he's talking about himself, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day, Verse 7, and now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. Now watch closely this next statement by Solomon, because here's where we're told why Solomon asked for wisdom. I do not know how to go out or come in. Solomon tells God, you know, there's something that my father knew how to do that I don't know how to do. I don't know how to go out or come in. Now, if you're like most people, when you read that statement, you're like, what? What's, 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 what's that even mean, Solomon? What, what's that mean? You don't know how to go out and come in where? I mean, we know he had a large palace. Historians say that Solomon's palace was almost 12,000 square feet, but come on. You mean you, you, you can't find the right hallway? You can't find the right door? You can't find the right doorknob? What, what what are you talking about, Solomon? This I don't know how to go out and come in, something that my father was able to do. So what's he talking about here? Well, for future reference, anytime you're reading the Bible and come across a word or a phrase that you don't understand, one real simple way to find out what it means is to see if that word or that phrase appears somewhere else in the Bible. That's Bible Study 101. Okay? How is that word or that phrase used in another context? So, does this word or phrase come out and go and appear somewhere else in the Bible? Well, it does. In fact, the very first time it appears is in a conversation between Moses and God. Moses was praying to God about his successor, who was going to take his place, the next pastor to lead the congregation of the children of Israel, And Moses says to God, for my successor, I just want to make sure that he can do one thing, just one thing. Now, watch this, what he says. Numbers 27, verses 15 and 16. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. Remember, he's talking about his successor now. Who shall go out before them and come in before them who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Solomon says, my father David, he knew how to go out and come in. I don't know how to do that. Then Moses says, look, God, before Joshua is sent in as a leader, God, just make sure that he's able to do this one thing. Make sure that Joshua's able to go out and come in. Make sure he can lead the people in and lead the people out. Then Moses is ready re- to retire and listen to what he says to the people. In Deuteronomy 31 verses 1 and 2 this is Moses' retirement speech. So Moses continued to speak these words to all of Israel and he said to them, I am 120 by the way just because Moses retired at 120 doesn't mean that's the standard retirement age for. so don't get any ideas here alright? I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to, here it is, go out and come in. So again, we see this phrase, go out and come in. What about the New Testament? Does this appear in the New Testament? Well, it actually does. In fact, it comes from the lips of Jesus. John 10, verse 9. He says, I am the door. Jesus speaking here. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out, or excuse me, go in and out and find pasture. So here Jesus, himself he uses himself as a metaphor for a door and said that those who come to him would go in and out through that door and they would find pasture. What's he talking about? Well again, if the Bible defines itself then let's keep digging, let's keep digging here because this phrase also appears in a conversation that took place between Joshua and Caleb. Let's read it, Joshua chapter 14 verse 11. As yet, I am strong, as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for, here it is. Here's the key to understanding this phrase, go out and come in. He says, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Coming in and going out were military terms. It was a military phrase. And here's what Solomon said, my father was a warrior. Solomon says, my father David, he he knew how to lead the people out and he knew how to bring the people in. I don't know how to do that, God. I want to know how to do that. I need the wisdom to know how to lead the people out and lead them back in. And then Moses says, you know what, y'all, I'm 120 years old, I can't lead you out to war anymore, I can't lead you back in from war and he says, God, please make sure that the next leader knows how to do that, how to lead your people out to war and bring them back from war. Okay, now remember this. The Apostle Paul tells us that all these things that happened in the Old Testament, that they're spiritual examples for us living under the New Covenant or in the New Testament. Here's, here's how he said it in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He said, now these things happened to them, talking about the Old Testament saints, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. You see that? They were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Okay, if the phrase going out and coming in were military terms for God's people in the Old Testament, how does that apply to us today? How does that apply for us living under the new covenant? Well, think about this. According to the Apostle Paul, we're all in a battle. We're all in a war, right? A spiritual war. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. In another place, Paul instructs us to put on the whole armor of God, right? Armor serves one purpose. That's to use in battle, right? So, yes, dear ones, we are in a war, a spiritual battle. So we need to know how to go out against the enemy and come back from those battles. Now remember, Solomon told God he didn't know how to do something that his father David was able to do. So with that as our backdrop, let's read 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18 beginning at verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. That's a huge phrase that we'll come back to. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, verse 14, and David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, saw that David had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him, but all Israel and Judah loved David for he here it is again, went out and came in before them. Okay, so we've determined that this phrase going out and coming in were military terms, but there's really more to it than that. So hang with me because we're going to swim out to the deep end today, okay? This is important for you to know. Put on your floaties. We're going to swim out to the deep end a little bit because this, this is huge. I want you to get this. Why did they come in from war? talking about the children of Israel, what did they do when they came back in from a battle? They came back from war to worship, to worship. And when you read about the numerous battles that the children of Israel had, and, and there were a lot of them, there were a lot of them, but there was always this consistent pattern of whenever they were in a war with another nation or another group of people, no matter what the war was about, no matter where the war was in its progression, no matter if they won or lost, they always, always, always came to the house of God first. If they lost the war, they came back in and worshipped to find out why they had lost or what they had done wrong. If they won the war, they came back in to celebrate. And if they were in the middle of the war, they came back in to be refreshed and then go back out. Now watch. Watch this pattern and see if it doesn't mirror your spiritual life. Again, if they lost, they came in and repented. If they won, they came in and rejoiced. And if they were in the middle of a war, they came in and they were refreshed. Now think about your spiritual life. Are there not similarities between that Old Testament pattern and your spiritual life? Right? Think about your life. You do battle with the enemy all week long, right? And then you come to church on Sunday mornings. And what do you do when you come to church? Well, after our awesome dream team, First Impressions dream team members will greet you out there, hug your neck, shake your hand. You come, what do you do? You come in. Right? You come in. Right? It's been a particularly rough or challenging week. Maybe you've lost a few battles, found yourself not being very Christ-like. You come in and you repent. Forgive me, God. I blew it this last week. Right? If you, if you, it's been a particularly good week. I mean, it seemed like God was with you all the time. You had some victories there. Then when you come in on Sunday mornings, what do you do? You celebrate. Right? You celebrate those victories. And if you're still in the midst of a battle you come in on Sunday mornings to what? To be refreshed. To be encouraged. Right? Okay, are you tracking with me? All right, make sure you're tracking with me. Okay, so if the Apostle Paul is correct and these things that happened to God's people in the Old Testament are examples for those of us living under the New Covenant, the New Testament what are we supposed to learn from this story? Well, I think there's three things. Number one we learn first and foremost that worship brings God's presence in our lives. Back to that text in 1 Samuel 18, verse 14. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. Do you realize that to this day, David is considered the greatest king Israel ever had? To this day, Jewish people will tell you that. David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he was a man after God's own heart. We know that. But what, but what made him a man after God's own heart? What made him a man after God's own heart was how he prioritized worship in his life. He made worship a priority. I'm telling you what, notwithstanding his moral failures, David was a man of worship. Some of you might know this, but David wrote most of the Psalms. You know, the word, the word Psalm means song. That's all, that's, and David wrote most of the songs, the Psalms that are in the Bible. Right? David was a worshiper. What made him him such a great king was when he went out, he knew how to come back in. Let's talk a little bit about this going out. Understand, this wasn't talking about going out from the presence of God. We don't don't go out from God's presence. Rather, we go out with God's presence. But here's the caveat. You need to understand this. If you don't ever come into God's presence, you're not going to have anything to go out with. Do you see that? You'll never have anything to go out with if you don't first come in. And we all, listen, since we're in a battle, we all need to make sure that when we go out that we're adequately equipped to face the day. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care what you do for a living. You need the presence of God each and every day of your life. I got two amens on that. Everyone should have said amen on that. Think about this. Jesus, part of Jesus' final instructions to his followers was to the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? We know that, it's called the Great Commission. But those weren't his only instructions. He also said this, I mean just moments, just moments before ascending into heaven, right outside of Jerusalem. He also gave these instructions in Luke 24, 48. He said, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, But, here it is, stay. See that? Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So first, Jesus said go, but then he said stay. So what is it, Jesus? Do we go or do we stay? It's both. It's both. But it's important that we have to stay first. Because if you don't stay, when you go out, you'll have nothing to go out with. Jesus' last words were, yes, I want you to go out, but wait, before you go out, I want you to come in. Spend some time with me. So this isn't just something that we do on the weekends. This is something we do every day, every morning. Before you leave the house each day to face whatever comes your day, right? You, 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 you never know what you're going to face. You have an idea. You've got an agenda. You've got your daily schedule. But come on, you've been living long enough. You know that you know there, there's some landmines out there that come our way. Transmission falls out of your pickup right? Oh, orthodontist, oh, you're going to have to get braces for the kids, right? Before you go out to war, before you face each day, you need to come into the presence of God filled up with his presence. And then when you leave, you don't go out from the presence of God, you go out with the presence of God. Worship brings God's presence, okay? Point number two, worship brings God's fear in our lives. Now, let me explain the statement because it's not what you think it might be. I want to talk about the fear of God from a little bit different perspective this morning. Not in the sense of, you know, the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And, and, you know, it's talking about that reverence of God. And, And that is true. But I want to talk about the fear of God rather in the sense of the fact that the devil fears God okay, his presence in us. Let me explain. Look at verse 12 again, 1 Samuel 18, 12. Saul was, look at this, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Okay, but listen, not only had the Lord departed from Saul, we're told back in chapter 16 that an evil spirit had come upon Saul. So now skip down to verse 15, 1 Samuel eighteen fifteen. Therefore, when Saul saw that he, David, behaved very wisely he was afraid of him. Now think about this. We're told that God was with David, but had left Saul. Then we're told an evil spirit had come upon Saul. Saul. So why was Saul afraid of David? Well, it wasn't so much Saul being afraid of David as it was the evil spirit inside of him being afraid of the spirit of God that was inside of David. Do you see that? Many years ago, before I had surrendered my life to Christ, I used, to, uh, I used to say and do a lot of stupid things. Uh, my wife says I still do, but that's for another sermon. But anyway, one time I, I, was at a, I was at a bar playing a friendly game of pool with another guy who I didn't know. Um, this friendly game kind of took a turn when, when this guy that I was playing started kind of mouthing off to a friend of mine who was next in line to play the winner of our game, right? So uh, I, I don't remember um, what I said Uh, to this guy, I just remember one time that he kind of got into a verbal argument with my friend who's standing by there and finally, and I don't know why I did this because I'm a peacemaker I I really am, you know, my my top strength on the Finders was harmony Okay, I didn't know that at the time but anyway, I don't know why I did this but finally I just spoke up and I said you know, why don't you just leave him alone and play the game I don't know why I said that in fact, after I said it, I said, where'd that come from (laughs) well, this guy starts coming at me with a pool stick, like he's gonna wrap it around my head. Well, you know, people kind of start gathering around. About that time, the bouncer comes running over. Oh, no, no fighting in the bar. Take it outside. Take it out back. I didn't want to take it out back. <laughs> so anyway, so then the people are start chanting, "Fight, fight, fight!" So everyone starts heading out back, and I'm like, I don't want to go out back. <laughs> but it's too late. The damage was already done. Right. So we go out back. Guy's taking his jacket off, and I'm standing there. I'm, I'm looking for an exit strategy. You know, who's, that'd be, that'd be you know, what a wuss, running off in a situation like that, you know, so I'm kind of caught there. So the guy takes his jacket off. He starts coming at me. About that time, a friend of mine, it wasn't a close friend, but someone that I knew pretty well, came walking up, and he was going to come into the bar. And his name was Sherman. Now, I know that that name doesn't evoke fear when you hear the name Sherman, but trust me, Sherman was big and Sherman was bad. So Sherman comes walking by, and he sees me. He says, Curtis, what's going on? Well, when I see Sherman there, then I get some courage. I said, oh, this clown here wants to fight me for some <laughs> He says, well, well, is that right? Sherman turns to this guy, is that right? Hey, now I got, hey, my beef isn't against you. My, my beef was with him. Sherman says, well, if you're going to fight him, you've got to fight me. The guy picked his jacket up and walked off. Right? So what's my point? (laughs) My point is God is gracious sometimes when he watches over us. My point is we all need a Sherman. We all need a Sherman in our lives. Uh, Someone who will bail us out when we get ourselves into trouble. And if you're a Jesus follower, you do have a Sherman. He's called the Holy Spirit. In fact, I thought about making the big idea for this message, we all need a Sherman in our lives. Someone to come to our rescue and help bail us out when the devil tries to beat us up. We're in a war, folks. Did I tell you that? We're in a war. And we'll be much better equipped to fight our battles if we'll begin each day by first coming into His presence through praise and worship and then going out, not from Him, but with Him when we leave each morning to face the day. So then if Satan decides to, he wants to take you out back and beat you up, About that time, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, peeks around the corner. What's going on here? The devil says, nothing, nothing. I got nothing, nothing, nothing. Can you imagine the fear of God? Listen, can you imagine God's presence being on you so much that wherever you go, the enemy fears you? Because God's right there with you. Wouldn't that be awesome? See, that's what I want you to catch So worship brings God's presence, worship brings God's fear, and then here's the third thing, worship brings God's wisdom in our lives. 1 Samuel 18, 14, and David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Okay, Solomon's called the wisest man that ever lived, we know that, but why? Why was he wise? He was wise because he asked God to teach him what his father knew. Yes, his father was a great warrior, defeated Goliath and all that, but the only way he was able to defeat Goliath was because his father was also a worshiper, which means he not only knew how to come into God's presence, he also knew how to go out with God's presence. That's what Solomon wrote on that blank check that God gave him. To be able to do what his father David knew how to do, which was begin each day by first coming into God's presence and then going out with God's presence. If you want to know how to respond when something comes up that's tough for you, something that just comes out of left field, catches you by surprise, catches you off guard, or maybe it's just been a tough, maybe you got a a tough decision you got to make. You're stressing out about it. Wouldn't you rather respond with the wisdom of God than your own wisdom? And the way that you respond with the wisdom of God is by living in His presence. Now, one last thing. One of the interesting side notes of Solomon's life was his meeting that he had with the Queen of Sheba. Let's read about it, and then I want to show you a couple of things. 2 Chronicles 9, verse 1. Now, when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem. Now, watch this next statement closely. Why did the Queen of Sheba come to visit Solomon? To test him with hard questions, having a gr- very great retinue that that's her entourage. You know, she had a lot of servants accompanying her and camels bearing spices and very much gold, and we'll see how much in just a minute, and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon with her entourage, with her posse, and and all this wealth, she told him all that was on her mind. In verse 2, 2 Chronicles 9, and Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that he could not explain to her. Verse 3, and when the queen of Sheba had seen, notice that, when she had seen, not heard, seen the wisdom of Solomon, and remember, this wisdom comes from being in God's presence, when she had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, in other words the order of his house, the food of his table, and then it kind of goes through this list of things associated with Solomon's household. Verse 4, 2 Chronicles 9, 4, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, in other words, just, just the royal pomp and circumstance, the excellence of the way that things ha- took place in the, in the palace, And their clothing, his cupbearers, and it says, and their clothing. Now watch this next statement. And his burnt offerings. There was no more breath in her. Burnt offerings. That's talking about worship, people. That's what burnt offerings, that's worship. In fact, the good news paraphrase translates the last part of that verse this way. And the sacrifices he offered in the temple, it left her breathless and amazed. It took her breath away. But perhaps the most interesting translation of this verse is the Old English, the King James. Watch how this translates the last part of verse 4. And his entryway, see that? By which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. That word spirit, that's the word for breath. Again, it took her breath away. When the queen of Sheba saw Solomon go in, now watch this, when she saw him go into the temple and worship, It took her breath away. There was no more breath in her. Literal translation, it took her breath away. It it wasn't all the, all the, the royal pomp and circumstance that she saw. It wasn't even his ability to answer all of her questions. What took her breath away was when she saw him go in and begin to worship his God. At that point, all arguments left. And understand, at this time in history, the Queen of Sheba, whose kingdom spanned southern Arabia and Ethiopia, where present-day Yemen is, it's the same region that the Magi mentioned in the Christmas story came from, okay? But this was an area of the world where where wisdom and wealth were worshipped. So tradition, tradition said that the Queen of Sheba had the largest monarchy in the world. So when she hears about Solomon, she comes to test him with all these riddles and all these hard questions. And to her surprise, Solomon was able to answer all of them. And then, having demonstrated his superior wisdom, the Queen of Sheba starts pulling out all her gold, all of her wealth. And she came with, are you ready for this? This is amazing. She came with 9,000 pounds of gold. Okay, at 16 ounces per pound, 144,000 ounces at 1826 an ounce. That's what the current rate, gold rate is. That would be about, are you ready? 262,944,000 in today's currency. Folks, most people just don't travel around with that much change. Why'd she have that much money? She, she was on a mission to show him she was the smartest and she was the wealthiest. And she gets there, Solomon answers all of her questions and then she sees all of this pomp and circumstance, all the royalty of the palace. But what took her breath away was when she saw Solomon bow down on the ground and worship his God. That's what I want for us. I want us to be so full of the Holy Spirit And the presence of Jesus, that when the world comes at us with all their hard questions, that God will give us the wisdom to answer them. But even if we can't answer them, even if we can't answer the hard questions, when they see the presence of God with us, no more questions. That it will, yeah, take their breath away. Take their breath away. Not unlike Peter and John, who had been arrested and were testifying before the Sanhedrin the Jerusalem council, in Acts 4.13. Look at this. It says, now when they, talking about the the ruling council, the the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men men, they were astonished, and they recognized that, here it is, they had been with Jesus. In other words, they recognized that Peter and John knew how to come in and go out. Worship brings God's presence, worship brings the fear of God, and worship brings wisdom. But that'll only happen if we first come in to worship and be spiritually empowered and refreshed before going back out into battle. I want to pray for you, but before I do, I want you to do something for me. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit what He wanted you to learn from this message. Because if you took the time to come here this morning, if you took the time from our Ecampus church to tune in this morning, I believe God will honor that. And He will speak to you something from this message. So, real quick, just say, Holy Spirit, show me what you wanted me to learn from this message. And, you know, it might not happen right away. It might. He might, he might impress something on your mind right now. It might be tonight. It might be in the morning during your quiet time. It might be Thursday at lunch. But if you're walking in his presence, trust me, he will speak to you. He'll tell you what he wanted you to learn from this message. So just pray that prayer real quick. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? I want us to be people who live in his presence. Not just enter his presence and then go out from his presence, but come into his presence and go out with his presence. Bow your heads. If you're here this morning, or maybe perhaps watching online, part of our eCampus church, and, you know, maybe you've never taken that first step of inviting God's presence into your life. Or maybe you used to live in His presence, but something happened that caused you to leave His presence, His manifest, His made-known presence. But look, you know, people who aren't right with God, they know it. If they're honest, they know that they're not right with God. doesn't matter why you're not there It doesn't matter why you're not in His presence now. What matters is from here forward. And if you know that you're not in the right relationship with God, if that's you, it would be my honor to pray with you so that you can begin living in His presence or in His presence again. So if that's you, would you just pray the simple prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help me to to just get right with you. I just just want to be right with you, God. Forgive me of my sins, all those things that I've done that have have separated me from you and, and your presence and have worked against your plan and purpose for my life. Uh, Right now, I just surrender all that to you, Lord. And I'm asking you to come inside of me, inside my heart, by your Holy Spirit, and help me begin living my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.